listen, do you want to get jacked? Do you want to get bigger, faster, stronger? Are you putting everything you got into your workouts? Well, that's great. That's great. But are you backing it up when you get home? You know what I mean. Are you eating right? Are you drinking right? Are you taking the correct supplements? Well, if you're in need of some fantastic supplements, go over and check out GetMountainOps.com. Some of the best supplements out there geared towards the specific needs of the hunter. They got multi-blended proteins, pre-workouts, post-workouts, multivitamins, which I myself take and thoroughly enjoy. And not only that, but for the fantastic listeners of this show, if you want to get 20% off your order, all you have to do is enter the coupon code NBH20 at checkout and boom, 20% off right there. So head on over to GetMountainOps.com and get yourself some. And don't forget to head on over to naturalbornhunter.com check us out on youtube subscribe to our itunes channel hit us up on instagram and facebook all right now let's get this show underway there's lance it's will will can you hear me yep how about you phil you good yeah i've got you got both right. of you perfect Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Natural Born Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Will Bradley. Tonight, I am joined... Oh, fuck it, I'm going to start that over. <laughs> <laughs> One big silly is no more. I'm, I'm not going to edit shit, but I'd at least like to start it off right. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. To the Natural Born Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Will Bradley, and tonight we have a very special guest, Lan Tawny from the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Association. And of course, as always, rocking the ones and twos on the second mic, your boy, Big Sexy, Phil Mendoza. How you do tonight, Phil? Good, man. Lan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. So, Land, now, in my opinion, I see you as a patriot fighting to keep free land free for people to use and access for hunting, fit, uh, hunting, fishing, outdoor enjoyment. But some people have cast somewhat of a negative light on what you're doing, calling you the green decoy. What do you have to say about that? Uh, <laughs> the first thing I would say is that, um, that, you know, when you're in the arena, um, I think Roosevelt had a quote, like when you're in the arena and you got dust on your, uh, shoulders and sweat on your brow, maybe a little bit of blood, like people are taking shots at you because you're doing something. And so first thing I would say is that the only reason that we're drawing attention to BHA and I guess me in particular is because, uh, we're getting stuff done and you know sometimes people don't like that and uh on the green decoy side you know when i first heard about it i thought it was a new type of decoys that was coming out and i was all excited about it until i heard that it was kind of like this uh fake kind of dc lobbyist kind of pr firm hit job that um we don't know where necessarily the money's coming from but it's being uh driven by a guy named uh 
He's been named like Dr. Evil um, by 60 Minutes. Uh, New York Times did a big expose on him. His name is Richard Berman. Um, and so, you know, his tactics are, are very dirty and, and very uh, kind of political campaign driven. And so, um, you know, they're, they're calling us, you know, like saying that, uh, that, that we're not real hunters and anglers. And, you know, I look at these pasty white kind of cat loving uh lobbyists and you know they're on k street in dc and they're saying that to me and my daughter's got more blood on her hands from last night's uh fishing episode where we killed three brown trout and whacked them and ate them for dinner than those guys ever have in their whole lives and so uh to me it's kind of laughable uh, a little bit uh gives us maybe a little bit more attention no press uh, or any press i guess with good press and uh and so you know what that kind of when people talk about us not you know being real hunters or not having the best uh, foot forward for hunters, and that just gives me more resolve to keep doing what we're doing. And what we're doing is is really like you said. I mean, we're making sure that public lands are there so that we have places to hunt and fish. Making sure the fish and wildlife habitat um, is there so that there's actually animals that we can chase around. Um, and then making sure that's there for future generations. So if anybody has a problem with anything that we do. Um, says that it's anti-hunting, I say point it out to me and uh, then we'll have a conversation. And that usually stops that conversation because I can't find anything that does that. Now, who has an interest in not keeping public lands public? Uh, Good question. So, you know, I think since Roosevelt, you know, helped set aside this great federal kind of estate that we all have today um, where you and I and Phil and anybody listening to this podcast is all, um, you know, we're all public landowners. We all, you know, can live like kings. He did that on purpose for future generations. And back when he did that, you know, there was timber companies uh, that said, oh, we're never going to be able to cut another tree. You know, we want to be able to, you know, do whatever we want, mining companies. And so they fought him back then. And so I think those are some of the same interests that are around today. Um, and, you know, our federal lands are, they're managed for multiple use. So that means hunting, fishing, mining, logging, um, grazing, like a host of things. But it, it doesn't, it means that you try to manage all those things together rather than just one. And so I think they want it just to be one so they can make the most money and not have to worry about sustainability or future generations. So I'd say it's the extractive industry on one side. Uh, and on the other side, I think it's just people, billionaires, you know. Uh, here in Montana, we've had a pair of brothers, the Wilkes brothers, who have bought up, uh, you know, a ton of Montana in the last 10 years. You know, they're, they're the largest landowner uh, in Montana, and that's saying something now. And um, they're licking their chops, you know, thinking about the sale of public lands and, um, you know, how they could buy even more land and then make it their exclusive kind of piece. And, you know, when it goes that way, where the uh, kind of noble or the elite, the people with money, have the access, us three don't get to hunt anymore. We uh, when we had Jeff Rowley on, he talked about how in England there's very little, if no, public access for hunting. Yep. You know, so what do these billionaires brothers do with this land? I mean, these guys are uh, you know they're, they're from Texas. They're bringing like a Texas idea model up to Montana. So if you think about Texas, I think they have you know one or two percent public land. The majority of that is private, and so they keep it for themselves is what they do. Um, and so, you know, they're putting up fences, restricting, you know, wildlife movement. Um, you know, they're trying to, 
you know, keep people out of, you know, accessible public land from their private place. And, um, you know, they're, they're trying to make it their own little private hunting ground, really. And, and that's fine, you know, on private ground. Like, and that's their prerogative. And while I wish, you know, they opened up their their uh, land, like, you know, is the Montana tradition that's been happening for generations, you know, where it's kind of a knock on the door or, a, you know, help build fence or whatever and you get on a place. Like they're turning into their own kind of private honey hole, and that's their prerogative. But when they start talking about trying to, you know, buy public land here in Montana or transfer, like, uh, that's just, you know, that's something that we don't want on the table. Now, yeah, there's some states. Go ahead, Will. No, you got it. Go ahead. Yeah, there, there's some states out west that, you know, <clears throat> have proven to have already sold when they get when they acquire that land, when the state takes it over, they're selling it. And yep. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if, if that model continues and that continues to happen, then, and like you said, that there is no, there is no turning back the, the, the private owners to turn, to turn back and sell property back to, uh, you know, the state or the federal government, that, that'll never happen. Yeah. You know, it, it happens every once in a while, but that's definitely not the norm. And, you know, I think when we think about transfer of the states, I think the biggest thing that we worry about is, is again, that, that, that short path to sale, you know, and they don't have necessarily the, they don't have the money to manage for forest fires or for road maintenance. And so they have a couple options. And that first option is, is, is uh, raising taxes, which uh, I don't think any uh, successful politician has ever uttered the word, I'm going to raise taxes and survive. So we know that's not going to happen. Uh, second piece is that they can extract the heck out of it, which they would do, um, and they can make a little bit of money that way. But once that's done, you know, the only other option to kind of make money off of those things and to manage them is to start selling them. And, and like you said, so, I mean, there's precedents all over the West that, you know, the lands that they were first uh, ceded to them when they became states, like in some cases they've sold, you know, 90% of that, like in Nevada. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 they, there's precedence there and, it's, you know, we, while they're, you know, our, our, our federally kind of managed public lands, that's not ideal, but, uh, you know, it's no time to throw that baby out with the bathwater the way we look at it. Yeah, no, there's, uh, <clears throat> so, so then let's talk a little bit more about what we as hunters and outdoorsmen and, and maybe not just hunters, right? Because anybody that enjoys public lands really has a, a say in this fight. Um, you know, what, what is, what is your organization? What's your, your, uh, you know, what's your, not vision stand, but what's your guys' um, end goal? What's your main goal? What's, what's the, how do you explain to people to help get from point A to point B? What, what, where do you guys fit in in this whole, whole picture? Yeah, you know, I, mean, I think that what separates us from every other organization out there is we are strictly advocacy-based. And, you know, that's inherent with the lands that we're working with. So, um, you know, on public lands, um, you know, we're not looking at, at um, buying land like the Elk Foundation or Ducks Unlimited, um, National Wild Turkey Federation, and trying to put a conservation easement on that because of the conservation values which is all great work, we're looking at a public land trying to you know, make sure that that's managed in the best way. And so, you know, our kind of tagline is a sportsman's voice for our wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. And within that, you know, there's access issues, there's habitat management issues, 
um, that we want to address to make sure that, you know, one, we maintain the opportunities that, you know, we all have today, which are unbelievably outstanding, um, but we even enhance those opportunities uh, for future generations. So um, that's what we try to do. And like our advocacy, again, separates us from you know, everybody else. And um, we've got a small niche, which is public lands. And you know, I've said it already, but I'll say it again, is that everybody in America is a public landowner. And so if you like to hunt, fish, camp, any kind of outdoor recreation, those public lands are essential uh, for, you know, your opportunities there. If you don't do any outdoor recreation, public lands are still vitally important to you because uh, 70% of our clean water comes from public land. So, you know, if you, if, if you like clean water, which I think everybody does, um, you know, talk to those folks in Flint about clean water. But, uh, you know, it, clean water is king, and, and, and if, if those public lands either are, you know, um, raped and pillaged, uh, and so they, they no longer you know, provide that clean water, or, you know, worst-case scenario, uh, the Chinese or somebody else, you know, buys the headwaters, then they get to dictate who and how that water is delivered um, and, uh, and can, you know, charge us a, a high premium, too. So I think every American has a stake in it, and, you know, I think there's, you know, for us, um, you know, we're, we're, we want to provide the, the easiest path for you to get involved uh, and make a difference um, in this whole fight. So that's kind of our role, I would say. So, and, and, you know, much of that is understanding and education, right? Um, helping the, the general public know, you know, what, what, what's happening, what's happened in the past, uh, what yep. to do to keep those things from happening. But oh, I kind of want to go back a little bit to what we said, something you said a little bit ago as to where the precedents for some states selling off land because they can't afford to keep it. And one of those being, you know, forest fires or, you know, road maintenance, whatever the case is, whatever the costs that get that become uh, part of the expenses in, in owning that land and, and maintaining that land. Let's, let's say that average Joe Hunter that goes up for a hike to a national park somewhere or a state park, right, and they pay their $5 or $7 into the daily till for, to, to park there and to use the, the park. Where does that kind of money go? I mean, I think that that money will go back to the management. But when you think, I mean, that's at a state level. I mean, you think about the vastness of our public lands of state at a federal level, um, there, there's just no comparison. I mean, uh, you can't, I mean, uh, like for me, I mean, you can charge higher fees, uh, but that would keep out then. You know, a lot of people, when you talk about like $5, that's affordable for everybody. But when you start talking about, you know, uh, 50 to $100, then it gets a lot more expensive. And I think that's the only way, you know, or one of the only ways that they could help manage those lands by char charging more money. So, um, you know, I mean, I, those fees, though, they do go to management, but it's it's it's, it's pittance compared to um, what they would need. And that's, so that's exactly what I was wanting, you know, to get to was it's just that it's, it's, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket, right? It's, it's, it's yep. enough to maybe pay some salaries and, and, uh, you know, a few odds and ends office, office administrative expenses, but that does not go towards, it's, it's never going to cover all the extras that need to get taken care of. In addition yep. to that, you know, you look at us hunters and we, we apply for a license, right? And I know there's different departments, different agencies governing all this. But people may think, oh, I pay my habitat stamp or I pay my park pass. That doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's not, it's not the same thing, right? Yep. It's in, in some ways, it, it's all part of the same bigger circle. Uh, 
but it's not directly my you know ten dollar and fifty cent habitat stamp is going to take care of public lands. No, that's not what it is. You know, right. and, and I think some people that just they just wanna they just wanna enjoy everything and think that they're paying their their fees and that that should be enough. It's not enough. You with us still, Ann? Yeah, hello. You got me, Will? Yeah, I'll have to come back. <clears throat> I wonder if he lost signal or something. Phone died. Did you call him on his cell? Fuck me. I have three bars, but got a dropped call. Hmm. hmm. How you doing today, man? Good, hang tight with you. Hey. Hey, what's happening? Dude, I've got like three bars in the office, never have dropped calls, so I don't know what that was. Huh. That is strange. Fucking frustrating, dude. Yeah, it is. I think. Phil, are you still there? Yeah. Oh, your your um video turned off for some reason. So you think that was Skype or was that me? I don't know. For some reason, my Skype little box is super dark right now. I don't know why. Ah, <laughs> trying to do good things and the world's not letting us. I know, right? Now Phil's on the phone. You can't see him, so I'll just update you. Go ahead, Will. Go ahead and get it going, going again. What, what were we talking about? Because <laughs> I paused it. Uh, we were talking about kind of like uh, just like the the states and kind of like just their inability to have the money to manage uh, existing land even versus, uh, you know, anything new. Yeah, the problem is it ended on Phil's question. Oh, give me one second. Yeah, I think we'll just we'll just hang tight, Phil, till you get. Okay. Ready? So I'll hit record. Yeah, go ahead. All right, here we go. Yeah, so so I was I was saying, you know, many many hunters, many outdoorsmen, many people that just want to go through the motions and don't want to get involved because they just, you know, they, they think that they've paid their their fees, their licenses, their habitat stamp, they pay their access fee for a state park or whatever the, the you know, whatever the case is, but 
all those fees don't even come close to being enough to what's gonna it's gonna take to maintain and manage those lands on a state level, and and that's what a lot of people don't understand. They don't see the disconnect there. Yeah, I think it's I think you know it's state lands. Um, I think it's really funny when people ask for management by state by states because you know that's 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 not. Um, it's not necessarily a rosy picture there either. You know, they have their own financial problems right now. They're having a pro- you know, problem figuring out their own funding mechanisms. And then you think about adding in, you know, fire, road maintenance, law enforcement. Um, I mean, the states just don't, they, they don't have, they don't have the capacity to be able to do that. So, um, you know, I think again, like, I mean, federal management is a perfect no, but it's a lot better than anybody else in the world. I mean, for the, us in Canada are really the guinea pigs here, and we haven't, you know, been, uh, you know, been operating with these public lands for about a couple hundred years, and, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's an experiment, and and that's we're the envy of the world, and so let's not change that. Let's try to make it better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, and some people's misconception again. You know, Colorado is one of those states that if it if the property is state land. If the state has like a grazing lease, for example, you can't access that property to hunt it. Right. You know, so so that's there again. People might think, oh, it's state land. I'll see. I can still use it, and that's not that's not how it is at all. Yeah, I think you guys in Colorado even have to. I think if it, if it's open to hunters, it has to be leased back to like even open it up for hunting. And so while it's right. state land, that doesn't necessarily, like you say, it's not open to the public. Like the, the hunters, as in the general hunting public in Colorado, have to get money just to have a little piece of that pie. Yeah, it, it can, it, there's, there, the signs point like it could turn into a big mess if, if that's the direction it goes. But again, get, getting back into what you do and, and putting your, your regional people out there and your groups together and, and events yeah. like the, the rendezvous you guys did, you guys had a few months back. Tell, tell us about like the, the, the rough outline of, of the yearly structure of what BHA does at the different times of year and kind of how they, how they round people up and how they notify people as far as, you know, what's, what's going on. Yeah, that's a good question. So, We'll go calendar year, I think, is probably maybe the best way to talk about it. But, you know, after sure. the first of the year is a big time for us. You know, there's the ATA show, um, Archery Trade Association show um, that, you know, is real important for us. Then there's um, the SHOT show uh, down in Las Vegas, so the largest, you know, hunting slash gun show in the world. Um, and so that's our January kind of starts us off there. And, um, and, and then we get into kind of our, our February, March, I would say is, is some more of those kind of conferences and, um, meetings and, and then us really getting out and talking to our chapter leaders. Uh, we've got a, a new, uh, chapter coordinator. He's not so new now. I guess he's been here for a year, but Ty Stubblefield, um, who, you know, really works with our chapters year round, uh, to help them build capacity. So membership and leadership. Um, and then help them engage at the kind of local issues all the way out to uh, D.C. issues. So um, he's working all the time. But last year and then this next year, we'll have our, our, we have our rendezvous in April. So this is our big, big party where we bring in, you know, volunteers and, and members from all across the country. Um, this last year we had it in Missoula, um, Montana, where our headquarters are. And it was our biggest one yet. 
Um, and so, you know, that's a pretty, it's not just a party, but, you know, folks, our chapter leaders learn some kind of grassroots best practices. Then we uh, have uh, some kind of seminars, you know, about, I think Randy Newberg did one on hunting elk on public land. Uh, Ty did some stuff on um, bugling for elk. Um, all sorts of things. And um, and so, you know, for me, um, then, we you know, we have like a big brew fest and, and we have Stephen Ranella speak this year as our keynote. So um, that's our big part of the year. And what that does, it then sets us up for the rest of the year. So you have all that energy that comes from there and then people go back home and they spread that energy out. And so, um, you know, that leads us in kind of where we are now, the start of the summer. And uh, this year we've got a new partnership with uh, Train to Hunt, which we're really excited about. Um, this weekend we've got actually um, an event here in Missoula, uh, and then we have one later in the year in Minneapolis. But uh, we'll be uh, um, we'll be you know at each one of those events because you know those folks that are that are doing a kind of a fitness slash archery challenge, um, there are people, and and so we want to. That's a good place for us to kind of prospect for members. Um, and then, you know, our, our, uh, our, our summer is really caught up in also kind of summer campouts that our chapters do. So they do, you know, once something in the summer where they bring everybody together and kind of a camp out and then talk about stuff around a campfire. And, um, as you both know that some of the best, uh, problems are always solved around the campfire. Um, but then in the morning, like you got to solve them again. So uh, yeah. great place for discussion. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think we roll into the fall and, you know, uh, that gets uh, kind of funny for us because um, everybody's either out of the office here um, or uh, our volunteers are in the woods too. So a little hit and miss. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that one thing I haven't talked about is that throughout the year really is that there's constantly, you know, conservation kind of policies that are taking place and whether that's like you know trying to make sure that we keep public lands in public hands or if we go um uh you know or if there's you know stuff happening in dc that has to do with budgets or a great thing called the land water conservation fund like the number one kind of access tool in the country like we have a great email system where we can let people know that this is going on make it easy for them to take action um with whatever kind of either administrative or elected official they need to um, and so we're trying to facilitate that way um, and keep people informed and then make it easy for them to engage. Now, that's that's pretty busy. And I, I guess one of the most important things is for you to be heard by politicians, right? The people you're representing, for them to be heard. And what is the best way for people to get involved with your group and, and try to make a difference? That's good. So... Um, I mean, I think first thing is become a member. You know, as we grow, uh, more members we have, uh, you know, like the more clout that we have. And so that, you know, my job and my staff's job is to amplify our membership's voice. And so when we go out to Washington, D.C., or even, you know, at a, at a local meeting at a state level, um, you know, being able to, like, carry that message uh, from, you know, more people gives us, you know, a larger seat at the table. So become a member today. Um, next thing, I guess there'd be kind of two levels. It'd be, you know, the take action piece that I just described. That's very easy to do. Uh, it's a push of the button a lot of times. And so when that stuff comes up after you become a member, please take that extra step to take action. And then, uh, there's a couple other ways that we can get involved too. I'd say the third way uh, would be to, to think about stepping up and being part of the chapter leadership. 
So helping them, you know, grow as an organization capacity-wise, but also helping them engage at um, kind of local levels and at national levels on policy. Um, and then that kind of like the last piece is that, you know, we had out, I probably head out to D.C. anywhere from six to ten times a year. And, um, you know, some of those, some of those times uh, we, to, you know, bring that kind of message, that boots on the ground message from the field out to the hall of the Congress, uh, we bring people, you know, that are uh, just regular hunters and anglers out to D.C. And ha- they have a huge, huge impact, um, you know, because they speak from a position of uh, passion and authority because they're talking about places that they, you know, don't just uh, – uh, hunt once a year to talk about the cocktail party that they're, you know, they're, they're hunting during the fall. Um, you know, they're picking morel mushrooms right now in the spring, they're scouting during the summer and then they're hitting it hard starting in September. So they know their place really well and they can speak very authentically, um, to that. And I think that message, you know, definitely resonates with their elected officials. So, you know, there's, there's ways to get involved if it's, you know, just, uh, the $25, which is, we totally appreciate and, understand if that's all you can do but uh if you want to get more involved we can kind of move you into whatever you want to get engaged in that's awesome and this is going to be a pretty heated presidential race i think um it's going to be a 30 done one yeah well it's, well now that it's, it's looking like it's going to be narrowed down to two uh what's what's your views on donald trump because i know he's actually come up, out with a stance on public lands so first thing I would say is uh, the 501c3 uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. Uh, we are not allowed to, you know, make any kind of political endorsements um, on, on any of the work that we do. So that's a no-no for us. Gotcha. Um, my personal opinion, you know, kind of like on Trump and uh, and you know his views on public lands is that I think um, you know he came out and talked about you know really separated himself from the rest of the kind of Republican candidates by saying that you know he thinks that public lands should stay in public hands, um, and I think a lot of that you know I think he's honest about kind of his uh, background and conservation slash hunting and public lands. He doesn't know much, you know, he's a He's a real estate mogul from inside New York City. So um, he relies on his son, Don Trump Jr., I think, who, you know, is, is a big hunter, uh, hunts a ton on public lands. And I think he relies on him a lot for kind of um, how his views go forward. So um, I, you know, I think Don Trump Jr., you know, he could he could hunt on uh, anywhere he wants in the world. And I remember asking him a question once, and I said, if you could only do one kind of hunting, what would it be? And he said it would be on, uh, you know, on public lands. Um, in Colorado chasing elk and you know that kind of took me aback a little bit that you know he wants to you know be out there just like everybody else and I think that's partly because that's the only place you can really find that challenge and solitude and adventure of the hunt is on public land and so um, you know he he totally enjoys that and I think he um, has already been a good influence on his father and he, he will continue to be. Is uh, Don Trump Jr. a member of BHA? Are you allowed to disclose he, this kind of information? I, mean, I, I, I think probably I am. I think, I mean, he's been in our magazine, at least uh, listed as a life member. So I think that's fine. But, yeah, he's, he's a life member of BHA. So he's not he's not just bullshitting you, just, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. He's legit. Oh, he's legit. I think this last summer he 
went up to uh, British Columbia and chased the uh, sheep around where they dropped them off for a week and then picked them up. I mean, he's got the kind of means where they can fly in with the helicopter. He could hop out, shoot that thing and be in New York city that night bragging about it. But, um, you know, I think he enjoys again, that kind of the toil and the adventure that, uh, only kind of the outdoors will provide you. And, and that's what a lot of us enjoy about going on these public lands. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and you think about the species that we chase, you know, and I think, um, like bighorns and mountain goats in particular, like I think those are almost exclusively on, uh, on public land, but, you know, elk and mule deer in particular, that you know, they like the high country and then winter down low, but, um, you know, that high country, like, I, you know, the majority of that is on public land. And so if we want to be able to chase those critters in a real way, uh, I think that's the kind of the last bastion to do that. Yeah, you know that that's 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 something people I don't think think about is what you know I could lose this. You know, it's been here forever, but I could lose it. They don't necessarily that doesn't get triggered in their heads. No, I think you know I, I think it's probably um, well the number one like uh, I think I think threat to our kind of hunting heritage going forward is apathy. It's exactly what you just described. And so I think Phil uh, earlier, you know, we talked about education and, and folks, you know, we're living in a pretty good time. Like elk numbers are up. you got turkeys recovered all over this country. Our duck populations are at all times highs every year. Um, we're living in pretty good times and uh, people get complacent pretty quick. And so that apathy, um, I think is the number one threat because, you know, like that's exactly what those who want to kind of, steal or defile our heritage are waiting for and so they can come in and pounce and we think that's not the case i mean um i got example upon example about how these guys are doing that and all over the country and and uh if we don't step up i mean literally it could be gone in a generation and you know one that would be a shame on us because of the special thing we have um and and two um, man, I just, I just can't imagine that happening. There's no way, you know, I might spend all my, my waking hours trying to figure out how we make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. So you, I mean, <clears throat> Lan and, and <clears throat> I apologize. I had to take a, a quick two minute break, but, um, so you getting into this, this, uh, profession, right? This passion, because it, it to me, this seems very much like a passion project. Anybody who's this is, into the the outdoors as you or I or will I mean this is something that um, you know you've made it a you made it a profession but but what did you do before this you know what what was your uh, career choices that led you into um, you know wanting to you know put all your time and effort and energy into protecting public lands yeah good question um, I think all that starts when I was a little kid you know, and, uh, my parents were very involved in conservation. My dad, uh, was the first lawyer for the Elk Foundation from, uh, uh, 85 to 95. And then he passed away. And so, you know, I kind of stopped that, but, um, you know, I, I've had this kind of, um, calling, I think since then. And, um, you know, I graduated college with a degree in wildlife biology which I very, you know, uh, loved going to college and getting that degree, but uh, I think I figured out pretty quickly that uh, I wanted to be more involved in kind of the policy side and, you know, doing broad, broad strokes. And so, 
you know, I, I started as a volunteer and uh, I volunteered for the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Alliance is what they were called uh, back when I started. Volunteered for them for six months, no pay, and uh, doing data entry and just all sorts of stuff and whatever they wanted me to do. And then I worked into a part-time job and a full-time job. And by the time I left them, I was running um, their national kind of grassroots program. And, um, and then I've kind of been doing that kind of stuff ever since. And I've been very lucky that somebody, uh, you know, said, let's give this guy a chance and have him do data entry for free. Um, and maybe that'll work into something. And then, you know, I've had, really good tutelage from some of the best in the industry uh, from kind of, a, you know, an early stage in my career that, you know, I didn't go to school for anything I'm doing. Everything I'm doing, I learned, uh, um, you know, from people or just by kind of uh, actually doing. So um, I feel very, very lucky to live, you know, in, in a place where I grew up and then, you know, having a national organization that's making a big impact right now. So um, for those listening, and I say this to folks that want to get involved in conservation and, uh, you know, whether that's like you're fresh out of college um, or if, uh, you know, you're just kind of wanting to have a career change, uh, that volunteer kind of internship is, is really invaluable. And I think you, uh, you know, that at least from my perspective, you know, we, we're, we get, um, uh, you know, interns all the time that we want to give a chance because it's their way to get in the door and they may get a job with us. They may not, but it gives them some experience that can do something elsewhere. And that's kind of where my career path came from. And so um, I'm a big believer in giving people a chance and, um, you know, letting them learn like, a, you know, those people that, that seem to know everything um, one come with a huge price tag, but also they do not know everything. And, and uh, if they think they do, then uh, they're dying because you're not learning. I think you're dying. No, and, and like you said, man, that, that type of education, that real in the field, learn like by experiences and learn from others, to me, is is the best kind of education. Yeah, I mean, think about it like, you know, look at it like hunting, right? Like you can watch all the videos in the world about hunting um, and uh, think you know, you know, a lot. And then you get out there on the ground and everything changes, right? Um, there's that piece. And then, you know, that that constant learning thing i mean i i was just out on the river last night chasing uh trout around during the sound fly hatch and you know i've learned a bunch of stuff last night that i didn't know so um you know you you learn by doing and that's that's kind of where i've come from yeah that's that's and that that's it 100 percent. i i same thing i went to college for two years got a business degree and in the first i don't know six nine months of just following my dad around after getting out of college i learned more than i did in any amount of school, you know, and it right. was you know, just in the field. This is real. This isn't what a book's telling you what it's going to be like. This is, this is real life application and you doing it in the outdoor industry or the outdoor, you know, realm of things, not so much, you know, the industry as far as like, um, what people might think of as sales or, you know, <clears throat> marketing, but, but just, just that kind of, uh, behind the scenes but, but but critically important piece that like I said so many people overlook. Yeah, and you know, I, I would I would say Phil that you know, I think there's something that probably um crosses all those boundaries and on the way the world works and that's relationships, you know? And um taking the time to build relationships and have meaningful relationships uh, really is, is how this world works. And so whether that's in a private business or doing the stuff that we do, 
um, we're only as good as kind of how those relationships are. And so, you know, I think I learned that again, not in school, uh, but when I got out in the field is that, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, um, try to figure out how to, uh, you know, work with people and maintain relationships. And so, you know, you can work together for a long time. There's no blueprint for something that hasn't been done before. You know, like you said, these public lands, these national parks, they haven't been around for that long. So the fight really is only going to intensify to keep them public. Oh, I mean, I think you're right, right? I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about water, you know, in this conversation, but, you know, water is becoming more and more of a scarce resource and which means that there's going to be larger and larger fights around it. I think, uh, there's a quote that whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that, yeah, I mean, the, the fights can intensify and, you know, um, as the, the haves uh, want to take more for themselves, us as the have nots, you know, we have a lot more to lose. Yeah, think about this. The the guy who was the first dude to predict um, the Wall Street housing crisis. Have you guys seen, uh, wow, what's the name of the movie? Shoot. Oh, man, they just did a movie on it, too, and it's just, yeah, I'm having a brain fart right now. But when I think of it, I'll tell you the name of the movie, but it's about guys who pretty much predicted and discovered the Wall Street housing collapse and everything before it happened, right? And that dude who discovered it like seven years before it happened and made a ton of money on it, he only invests in water now. That tells you something right there. Yeah, he's putting his money, (laughs) you know, it's a sure thing. What do we all need? Yeah, it's uh, it's a finite resource. The Big Short. The name of the movie is The Big Short. The more that we populate, the more that we have to use water. I mean, perfect example, right? I think last year here in Denver, in Colorado anyway, in the Denver area, we got rain in May into June. Like, that was something crazy. Like 40 out of 45 days we got rain, right? It was just insane. And then I'm still getting notices from my local water department telling me that I can only do watering my grass certain times, you know. And and you think about it, it's like, okay, how much water did we just get? Did right. it just fall over the last 40-some days? Just those 40-some days, not to mention all the snow and every snowpack and all that levels. But if if they're nervous of overconsumption, whether it's by means of drinking or using for whatever in your household or watering your grass... And and we've gotten a wet year, man. What's going to happen when we have a dry year? You know, right. I don't know. There's just so many. There, there's so many little things that you, you you can sit and think about, and and you really bang your head against the wall because some things just don't make sense. But like you said, it's it's a valuable resource. It's it comes from, it gets captured in these in these uh, public lands, right? And and think about this. How many people are moving out to Denver? How many people have moved to Denver in the last year? A whole right. lot of pot smokers. <laughs> and what do you need to grow pot, Phil? 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't grow pot, Will. Well, I don't either, but I'm assuming, much like <laughs> everything else in life, you need water to grow it. Water. <laughs> and some other stuff, water. I'm sure. Also, you know, we're building cities and deserts. Yeah. I went out to Phoenix. It's in the middle of a desert. And that city is huge, man. Yes, it is getting bigger, too. Concrete jungle. Yeah, let's not get started in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're building city after, you know, isn't Los Angeles, but that was a desert, too, correct? Mm, I don't know LA as much, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, and they're not getting water from where they're at. They're pumping it in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So think about all that. I mean, that, that was a big issue last year, wasn't it? Because they got so little snow in the Sierra Nevadas. Yep. It's, it's, it's something that could definitely be a big effect on us in our lifetime and definitely in our kids' lifetimes. We all have kids. You know, we we got to keep that public land public for them. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and I think, you know, it's like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Like, so instead of, like, you know, divesting these public lands, let's keep them and so that we at least have something, um, you know, that we can rely on um, rather than, you know, thinking about, like, maybe a, a different situation. I mean, again, it's not perfect, but... Um, Boy, if we didn't have it, like these water conversations, these hunting conversations, they change drastically pretty quickly. And if we lose it, we're not getting it back. No, no, no. You know, I don't want to be down the road having my children or my children's children to have to, you know, look for handouts from the government or somebody with water rations and bullshit like that because, you know, we didn't stand up for and protect what we needed to. Sure. That's why people need to engage. And I, you know, I think, uh, um, uh, you know, there's, if you don't get engaged, it's hard to be kind of on that side of the bitching too, right? You gotta be a part of the process. And, um, so, you know, I encourage everybody to, to step up and be part of the process and whether that's, you know, just becoming a member or getting more engaged, uh, with BHA, I think, you know, it's important that and it doesn't have to be BHA. I mean, that may sound weird coming from me as, you know, president and CEO, but, uh, you know, get engaged in something so we have some opportunity to try to influence policy. And I think, you know, we're one of the better places to do that, but, uh, you know, there's other options out there for you too. Now, where do people go to sign up for, become a member and check out everything that you're working on in BHA? Yeah, so we just got a brand new website. It's just uh, backcountryhunters.org. Um, so go check that out. We're also on Facebook. You know, we're updating sometimes on Facebook two or three times a day. So it's a great place to kind of get a good snapshot of who we are and what we do. And then uh, we're also over on uh, Instagram and for the pictures and then on Twitter a little bit too. So um, we can, you can check us out in all those kind of venues. And the last thing I guess I would say is, uh, check out our YouTube channel too. YouTube channel uh, has some definitely conservation kind of messages stuff in there. But another thing we do is we're trying to like uh, teach some backcountry skills a little bit. So we got a, um, uh, a series there called Backcountry College, which is pretty awesome. And uh, um, this guy by the name of Clay Hayes, who is just an outstanding outdoorsman uh, based out of Idaho. Um, he runs that for us. We call him the professor. And uh, so it's a great place to learn some skills, too. He sounds like a good guy to have on a podcast as well. Sounds interesting. Yeah, he, he is interesting. Uh, he works for the Idaho Fish and Game. 
um, and uh, grew up in Florida and then uh, uh, moved to Idaho and uh, haven't looked back. <laughs> Didn't care to be a flatlander, huh? No, you can have that conversation with him. But, um, I think he uh, enjoys part of the backcountry of Florida, which there definitely are when you think about the Everglades. But, uh, um, you know, I think he's really enjoying what he's got in Idaho. Yeah, I'm sure. So I know there's also ways to get involved locally. Should people just contact their local chapters, or is it best to start out become a member first? I think become a member first, um, and then if you know you really want to get involved in a chapter, one of the like the universal ways to do that is to contact our our uh, chapter coordinator Ty Stubblefield, and that's just Ty T Y at backcountryhunters.org. Is there anything else going on in the future people should be apprised of, aware of, or know about? Uh, I think something we're going to roll out here pretty soon um, that I think everybody should know about is, a, you know, we've been talking about public lands all day today, um, but we really are looking at public waters, too. And when you think about public waters, you're thinking they go straight to fishing, which, you know, it definitely has that nexus. Um, but it also, there's a lot of, you know, places that you cannot access in this country um, for hunting without, you know, access to water. And so we're calling it our Stream Access Now campaign. Uh, stream access is different in every single state across the country. Uh, but we want to make sure that, you know, again, that uh, we maintain what we have um, and then uh, try to, you know, improve access in other places. And so, um, you know, a stream access campaign is something new that we're going to be rolling out at uh, ICAST, which is a huge, large fishing show down in Orlando. Um, in midsummer, so that will happen in July. So stay tuned for that, please. What are the big fights you face on the fishing front, as far as the streams and all that? Because I know we talked a lot about hunting, but what is what are yeah. the water fights? Well, yeah, let me tell you about stream access since you asked. So here in Montana, we have probably one of the gold standards of stream access, where um, you can access up to the high water mark which means basically right now or even a couple of weeks ago when rivers were running really high, um, you know, they, they make it so only certain vegetation can kind of grow, um, you know, below that high water mark. And so there's a, or above it and below it. And so you can definitely tell the difference. And so here in Montana, we have access anywhere you can float a stream. Um, we have access up to the high water mark to walk. And so for me, you know, fishing, that means I can go wade fishing in a lot of places. I can stop for lunch um, on the side of the river. Um, you can pull over if you're fighting a big fish. That's important. Uh, but for me as a duck hunter, uh, it's vitally important. Uh, I wouldn't be able to probably hunt any of the places that I hunt here in western Montana without stream access where I can go, you know, get on a piece of water where birds are working that is private land behind me, but uh, public in front of me. So um, that's our great stream access law here in Montana. You go to Phil State in Colorado, and if uh, your boat touches a rock in the middle of the river and gets stuck, but like you're trespassing because you're hitting the bottom of the river, if uh, Will, or excuse me, if Phil takes his foot off of the boat and like wants to step on the bottom of the water, he's trespassing. And so, um, you know, that's a place where we'd like to try to, you know, increase stream access um, and, and 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 really kind of. Uh, make that uh, more accessible to the public, and not just for hunters and anglers, but also for you know kayakers and and other folks that want to enjoy that water. So, 
Um, that's probably the main issue. I mean, we've talked a little bit about clean water today. I think clean water is another issue surrounding kind of just our streams and rivers and lakes that we're engaged in. There's a, a place called the Boundary Waters, um, Canoe Area Wilderness in northern Minnesota, uh, established back in 1964. Since it's been established, it's been the number one uh, visited wilderness in the country, and that's because it's accessible. Um, you know, it's a bunch of lakes that are all kind of chained together, and you can go up there and just get lost forever. Um, and little kids can do it all the way to, you know, folks in their 90s because it is so easy to get around. And right now there's a, a mine that's proposed on the very southern edge. I think it's like a quarter mile from the wilderness boundary. And uh, all that water flows north. And so if any kind of spill happens, which, you know, mining, um, there hasn't ever been a mine that hasn't leaked. So that stuff goes straight north and it, you know, really ruins that resource pretty quickly. So that's something we're fighting on that end that definitely has stuff to do with water and stuff to do with fishing. Yeah, that that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and, and I don't want I don't want this conversation to come across, you know, like, hey, we're against all mines because we aren't, you know. I mean, I I use you know all sorts of metals and. Um, you know, we understand, but like, this is one of those, you know, it's one of those places where you shouldn't have it happen. So it's like these special places. So I think the boundary waters definitely qualifies as that. And, you know, it generates, you know, tons of money for the economy up there. And like, you lose that resource and kind of lose all of that as well. Right. Right. Is there, is there any other, uh, places maybe, people might live like if, if someone say is listening to the show and they live near the boundary waters and they didn't know about this yep. before they might care a little bit more is there any other kind of in danger places like this you'd just like to maybe update or educate some people on yeah i mean i'd talk about uh, one in particular here in montana it's the smith river since we're talking about water so it's the only permitted river uh, in montana it's a 60 mile float I just did it with my family, so two young kids, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, just gorgeous, and you go through this canyon that's uh, carved out by, you know, limestone canyons carved out over eons. Um, just gorgeous, and there's a, a mine that's, been, like, that's proposed at the headwaters of that stream. And so, um, you know, again, like you, you, you run the risk of ruining the resource, but then also all the industry that kind of comes around that. So I think that's a big one. Um, we've got a thing in Oregon, um, that we're working on, uh, called the Frank Moore Steelhead Sanctuary, uh, trying to, um, you know, protect an area for steelhead. Uh, so that's one, um, trying to think of more. I mean, we've got stuff going on all over the country, Will. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, that, uh, you pick an area and I can almost tell you something. And so I think if people... You know, those are the ones I would highlight right now, but uh, we've definitely got more stuff we're working on. So, people, if you want to be involved, you want to protect these lands, these waterways, you know, your access for enjoyment, become a member. Don't be apathetic about it. You know, help fight the fight because even joining, even joining helps. Anything you can do, you know will be, I'm sure, appreciated by land and the uh, BHA. And land, what, what are the levels of uh, membership, and what can people look forward to when they join? Ah, good question. So um, we got you know regular membership at $25. So 
think about $25. You can't go out to eat uh, with your family for $25 uh, anywhere right now, I would say. Um, even like Taco Bell, if you've got a family of four, that's tough to do. Um, so uh, $25, uh, you get, you know, our, our magazine, which is kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's getting better and better. Uh, but the 52-page magazine comes out four times a year. Um, so you learn some skills in there and learn more about kind of uh, conservation stuff that you can get involved. So you get the magazine. Um, and then you get to uh, like a family membership of $35. And that's just, you know, one household kind of thing, same benefits. Um, then you get into like a supporting membership, which is a hundred dollars. And for a supporting membership, uh, you get one of our sick lids. So a sweet hat, um, that, that, uh, has a BHA logo on it. Um, that you get to kind of proudly wear, um, and, and so that's the extra premium there. You might get to sit at the um, cool we, kids table at lunch. Totally, totally. Um, and, and uh, but you're already at that table, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I guess I, I guess I'll just stick with the twenty-five dollar <laughs> membership then. <laughs> or what you, now I want you to think, hear about the next ones. Though. So then we have life membership uh, premiums, and so um, those are from a thousand to fifteen hundred to twenty-five hundred. And we've been very fortunate to work with a couple of our corporate partners. One being Kimber Firearms, and then the other Seek Outside Kent. Um, I'm not sure if you know those guys. I do. Uh, so, yeah, they're based in uh, Colorado, and they're great, great tents. Um, so uh, at each one of those levels, uh, you get something different, too. So um, for the gun side, at a $1,000 level, you get a micro carry, which is like a little 380, um, real small little pistol, um, $1,000. And then if you go to um, the $1,500, uh, you get their 1911 uh, 45 Custom 2. Um, from Kimber, which is, you know, probably one of the, the uh, it's, it's one of the most reliable, I guess, pistols around. Oh, you gotta um, love you the 1911s. Up. What, what does yeah. that even sell for? Because that's got to be close uh, to the price. It is, it is. Uh, it's, I think that, like, that retails for, like, around 12. So, man, so, that's a pretty good deal. That's you know, a huge deal. You want to be and, a BHA uh, member, you want to contribute a little more to the cause and get a sweet gun, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't just buy this new gun. <laughs> I became a lifetime member of the PHA. Exactly. <laughs> they and gave it the way, to me. Write, you can, and you can write it off as well. Oh, um, there you go. And then on the tent side, you know, you get three different sizes of tent and then a titanium stove um, to go with it. And I will tell you that I, I was on that Smith River trip with my family a couple of weeks ago. It poured rain on us the first day and then all that night. And with two young kids, um, that could have been a real, real touchy kind of touch and go situation. And we were able to start a fire in the tent and not only dry off, but also kind of warm our hearts. Um, and you know, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the trip. So, um, if you haven't had a, a teepee with a stove in it, um, it's something that, uh, you're missing out on and, and really you should check out these guys that seek outside and, and really think about becoming a member of BHA for life. Yeah, for life. And is there a level beyond that? That's it, man. That's it. That's awesome. That's if you want to become a legacy partner, I guess, you can start giving us money, you know, um, that's $1,000 or more, like, you know, uh, every year. But um, that's kind of like that that whole other next level, but not necessarily membership, but more about our, our giving. <laughs> right. You just want to send some checks 
I'll also accept checks if people want to just send me random checks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> make them, make them and out. And it goes with such a great cause. This guy's a new dad, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Diapers and formula. <laughs> yeah, just wait till they start getting old enough to eat real food. <laughs> that's a, that's where I'll just need cash to go hunting and buy arrows and such. Yeah, save money. Tell you what. We go we go out to dinner and I got two two boys and my wife and I and it, we can't not spend at least seventy five eighty bucks on dinner when we go just to sit down <laughs> at a freaking Chili's or a you know somewhere a little just podunk steakhouse not even a high end steakhouse it's like just just chalk up a hundred dollars you know for dinner and do, chalk it up and do they I remember when I was a kid I always had like my go to meal I'd like chicken tenders and French fries do they have go to meals. <laughs> My kids, yeah. yeah. So get this, right? If 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 my oldest son Dominic, he's six, and when he gets when we go to a steakhouse, he gets the steak, man. He want he he, he doesn't want the chicken. He's a he boss. He wants the steak, <laughs> you know. And and then so the other thing, he's he's a he's a big sushi eater, right? He likes his sushi. So it's Jeez. like, hook me up with the sushi. Don't I don't want to know a little rice, you know. Little chicken fingers with rice and yeah, little some vegetables. Give me the sushi. So he's uh, he's acquired some expensive taste at a young age. He's, so he's good like, luck with that one. Will. Dad, you know what I I really enjoy is lobster. Can I get the surf and turf tonight? What, <laughs> what's market price? He, he hasn't <laughs> market he hasn't price. Right. That yet. Yeah. <laughs> You're just keeping you what, him though, away from it. <laughs> it. It does. It doesn't matter what night of the week it is. Though it can be Tuesday night on a school night. He's like, Dad, let's go to dinner somewhere tonight. It's like, no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, why why don't we take out mom? Treat her treat her good tonight. <laughs> right? You know what sounds good, Dad? Yeah, I know what sounds good, son. <laughs> this is why this investment, this yearly investment of twenty five dollars to help protect like those opportunities to go kill animals uh, and put them on the table is a good is a good investment. Oh, I, I love it, man. That's I mean, I, I'm with you hundred percent. I'd rather light up the grill and, and cook up some meat, you know, that that I've brought home hundred percent. But yeah, and my kids eat it; they love it too. But well, apparently you don't cook it as good as TGI Fridays, Phil. <laughs> no, you know. But I tell you what, my my dad, my son, he'll. It's like, Dad, what is this? Is whitetail? No, this is elk. Oh, it's elk. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like elk too, Dad. I like elk too. So <laughs> that's awesome. He, he puts it all down, man. He puts it all down for sure. But well, cool, man. Um, Land. So. You know, you, what you uh, you got in your tags or anything yet? What do you have coming up here in the upcoming months for for your hunting season? You know, uh, Montana is a great place, and so we've got a lot of over the counter uh, opportunities. I did not draw any special elk or deer tags this year, but that does not mean you know my opportunities are diminished. I've uh, I'm going to be hunting. We do a hunt every year in the Bob Marshall uh, for a week and so going with my cousins on horses and um, so we'll do that again this year um i do have goat uh moose uh sorry when i say goat mountain goat uh moose antelope uh bison um bighorn sheep I'm trying to think if there's any more that i apply for but like all special tags that we'll find out about here in a couple of weeks so that could change some things pretty drastically pretty quickly oh, yeah. um, which would be awesome um, and then uh, I'm going to go do a, a, um, a sick uh, deer hunt up in uh, Alaska um, in late October. So um, nice. I'm stoked about, you know, what I got coming. If, 
now it's just trying to manage uh, family relations and work um, <laughs> at the same time that all of us do, right? I think we all try to manage that. And um, so, you know, that's, that's my stuff. How about you guys? Well, you, you call it manage it. I call it try. Just try not to F it up, man. That's, that's just what it comes down to. <laughs> It's totally true. It's totally true. It's 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 tough, man. It's that's something that I struggle with daily. But uh, I I drew my uh, high country mule deer tag for archery and uh, my limited entry elk tag. It's not a high high demand elk unit I I drew, but still requires a an application and and a drawing. So I drew those two tags. Um, I'm still trying to to poke around and try to work a deal on on getting back into New Mexico at least on a landowner voucher. I didn't draw New Mexico this year, but I love hunting elk in two states and being that that's the closest one to me um i may fork fork out a little bit of uh dollars there to to try to just to still get in hunt another uh another state for elk so trying to work that out but um you know private land public land um i like to hunt animals and i like to maximize my opportunities so um totally. I, don't, I don't discriminate you know i prefer the the backcountry style stuff but i you know I just love getting after elk specifically. So, as long as the situation is not um, not a canned hunt type deal, you know, I'll I'll look into it. Yeah, totally. And you know, and I think I, I'm glad you brought that up because you know this conversation has been driven around uh, public lands, but you know we have the largest you know public access to private land program in the country here in Montana it's called block management. And I think there's 8 million acres that are enrolled in that. And, you know, I, I hunt a lot on block management lands and, um, you know, and private lands, you know, provide a lot of opportunity like you just described and, um, especially later in the year. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, those opportunities that, that we have on private land, you know, are, are kind of coveted and, and, uh, and we should, you know, try to do everything we can as sportsmen to maintain those relationships and so those opportunities go into the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in like for new, the, the case for New Mexico, for example, the, the couple of units that I'm looking to try to buy a tag, there's some properties that basically just gets you access to uh, national forest, you know, and you right. buying the voucher doesn't necessarily mean you have to hunt the private land. It just gives you an opportunity. It just depends if you want totally. to pay for it. You know, so, but like you said, there's, yeah, there's some great programs. Colorado's got some programs, too, that they do with the Ranching for Wildlife. And, um, you know, I, there, there's, if you just get out there and look, that's any, anybody who, you know, hasn't, that uses the excuse that, oh, I don't have anywhere to go. It's just because they haven't put the time into trying to find somewhere to go. Because there's really, a, I mean, in, in many states, like you said, with the over-the-counter tags and, and um, there's just so many opportunities. Yep. Yeah, and it's partly us trying to help them figure out what those opportunities are too. You know. Oh, that that's it, and it's yeah, like you said, and you know, mentoring people or bringing somebody along, you know, all that goes a long way. But uh, I don't know if we lost Will. I don't see him on the. No, I'm I'm right here. I think oh. for some reason my camera just <laughs> cut out. Okay. Yeah, but um, so I've got a few tags. I'm 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 trying to make sure that Will's still committed to coming out to Colorado, so I can take him out and. And uh, and test his lungs up in the high elevation again. Um, That's what I was just gonna say. Get yourself in shape, boy. Dude, carrying this baby around, my forearms are gonna be jacked. Yeah, 
<laughs> Those forearms are going to help you when you're hacking up that steep mountain. So I'm going to walk on my hands, boy. It will. <laughs> These next 40 days are going to get your forearms jacked, too. So don't, don't fool yourself, man. That's a good one. Yeah, this is a family show. I remember, yeah. <laughs> As in, we're all family men, but we, you know, yeah, we'll exactly. Keep it, keep it real. Yep, exactly. That nailed it. So, well, right on, land man. I appreciate you, uh, you coming out and. Um, just one more time, tell the listeners where they can where they can get signed up, where they can find out more information on the backcountry hunter, hunters and anglers. Uh, tell tell everybody yeah. where they can find you. Totally, and um, before I do that, thanks again for uh, you know the opportunity to be on there with you guys. Uh, very much enjoyed the conversation, and uh, you know while we're in different parts of the country, I think we uh, definitely are kindred spirits. So appreciate that. Hundred um, percent. Go find us at uh, Backcountry Hunters which is plural.org. Um, you know, you'll find our website there. And if you're on Facebook, go check us out over there. Awesome. And, and you know, just a reminder to everybody out there, you need to get out and, and do a little bit more. Don't be afraid to, like I said, it's 25 bucks as a starter membership there. Get out and do it. You know, and, and, and show an appreciation for the backcountry hunters and anglers and what they're there, what they stand for. Make sure you at least, you know, give it some time, check it out, go online, and in addition to that, you know, we want to also show uh, thanks to our partners who partner with this show. Uh, so, Will, we, you know, wh- what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be telling our listeners if, uh, if they need some, uh, some supplementation? Well, if you want some supplementation, right, you can go to GetMountainOps.com. And you can buy some supplements, some really great supplements, whether it's protein, pre-workouts, vitamins, which I've been taking uh, the vitamins there, the multivitamin from Mountain Ops. Uh, for frick, like thirty days, I think now in a row or so. And you know what, man, I'm I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I've also been doing a little fish oil, which you can't get from Mountain Ops, but I'd still recommend it. And you know, they've got a lot of great plot products at GetMountainOps.com. But guess what? You don't have to just go there and pay full price for them. You, my friends, can get twenty percent off. Land, do you know how you get twenty percent off? I'm thinking you got a code for me. I got a code for you. Get your pencil out. Prepare you to write this down. Do you have your pencil out? I'm ready, dude. It's, 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 it's open right now. All right. So get that pencil in those small Irish hands and write this down. And. <laughs> <laughs> B. You had to throw that in. H. Right. I might have been scrolling through Sorry. Facebook and saw your fly fishing thing. I actually stole that yeah, line yeah, from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. My pen looks really big right now, by the way. Yeah, I bet your wife loves that. It's a good thing we're winding down. The show's going to go off the rails. All right. NBH20. What is that code? NBH20. That's NBH20. NB. H twenty. Any guess why that is? Two zero. Yes. Natural born hunter. I don't know where the twenty comes from. Because it's twenty percent off. off, brother. Oh boy, I got it now. Man, good thing you went into uh, not for profits because you're not too bright. 
<laughs> no comment. <laughs> I don't see why those guys are so intimidated by you. <laughs> Just throw some some simple questions out there. <laughs> Uh, all right. Pretty you, easily distracted. Very easily distracted. <laughs> Just looking at that pen and that big old pen and them smaller <laughs> hands. <laughs> you know what else? You can also buy some really great binoculars, which Phil has become a huge fan of. I've been a fan of them. And I think you, you guys and gals will be too if you check them out, which you can do at no limits archery phil shop in denver or you know there's a few other places you might be able to check the mavens websites to see where you can get your hands on them if not they'll send you a pair to test which is pretty damn cool and maven binoculars go to mavenoptics.com and if you decide you want to purchase a pair all you got to do is enter the coupon code NBH gift and they will send you some free Maven swag with that order. I dig it. Check them out. They're money. They are. They are. And also, you know, check out Phil's championship bow hunting podcast. If you want to actually meet Phil in person, you can go to the uh You can go to Chuck E. Cheese and the You can go to Chuck E. Cheese, or I guess there's a restroom <laughs> off I ninety that he's been known to visit. There's a little hole. <laughs> oh, my. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> what, I, what I mean to say is, what I mean to say is, he has one of the nicest bow shops I've ever actually been into in my entire life, and it is in the Denver metro area. No Limits Archery. Go there and check it out. Also, uh, just, just to kind of even it out here, my buddy Jimmy, I actually have, receive nothing for this but he has a cool little shop in his garage it's pretty cool he's working on getting a bigger place but he's selling some obsession bows which are really great bows so if you ever want to check those out and you're in upstate new york head on over to pass through protune or hit him up on facebook you know also don't be afraid to you know subscribe to this po podcast uh give us a like leave some comments check us out on youtube we have some cool videos there uh, Instagram, you know, hit it up. That's it. Right on, man. Will, pleasure. Land, thank you very much, man. We'll catch up soon and, uh, and definitely keep supporting you in your movement. All right. Thanks, you guys, and uh, keep up the fight, man. We, we will. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Natural Born Hunter podcast. Wake up, chase your dreams, repeat. Repeat.